With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a special series on the Herbalife FCPA Enforcement Action. Over the next five episodes, I am joined by five top compliance practitioners to take a look at some of the issues in this case. We begin with Mike Bolkoff, considering how he would have handled this case had he been approached by Herbalife. We then consider the lack of a monitor in Herbalife and some of the reasons by Jay Rosen. Matt Kelly considers the role of the board of directors and how they failed in this case. Jonathan Marks considers the role of gatekeepers in this case and decries a lack of skepticism at the board of directors. We conclude with Jonathan Armstrong taking a look at this case from the UK and UK Bribery Act angle and finds some Scottish cases which might inform a response. It's a podcast series I know you'll enjoy. Lots to unpack in the Herbalife case. These episodes are relatively short, 10 to 12 minutes each, so easily digestible. The special podcast series on the Herbalife FCPA Enforcement Action are a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. So, Jonathan Marks, I have heard you talk about and seen you write about a lot of the issues that came up from this case and have been discussed in this podcast. And frankly, I suspect you're about to go subnuclear. You're so agitated about this. So what has agitated you the most? I mean, everyone, Jonathan and Matt certainly brought up, you know, phenomenal points and made awesome comments. I guess as I read through this and watched everybody comment on it, you know, a couple different things. Um, one is, and I've been saying this for years, in, especially in the United States, until the SEC makes the chief audit executive and the chief compliance officer leaving the company an 8K event, then it's going to be a problem. The chief audit executive needs to have enough gravitas and a lot and enough leverage to challenge a lot of these things without being threatened by their jobs. And if they are threatened by their jobs, much like the lawyers um, who have a noisy withdrawal provision, the chief audit executive and the chief compliance officer need those same things. So that's the first thing. The second thing here is skepticism is just completely and totally out the window. Um, when you talk about boards asking questions, you know, I think they ask the questions, but they don't follow up appropriately. I think sometimes they're afraid to follow up. You know, if you look at the average structure of a board in the United States, I think the average age is over 68 years old. I'm not so sure and no deference to any of these people that they have the, the skills and capabilities to understand not only the risks that are being faced today, but also the compliance aspects of things. Um, you know, as we dig deeper, I know uh, Matt or Jonathan mentioned Bluebell Dairies, uh, you know, uh, Bluebell, you know, I think that's a testament to the fact that you know, the board 
needs to um, they need to be well designed with the right skill sets on there, and they need to make sure that they're monitoring appropriately and you know going above and beyond you know and challenging senior management with regards to not only risks but also you know uh, the controls that are in place and whether in fact that they are. Uh, functioning appropriately. You know, most people think policies and procedures, good policies and procedures, ensure you have good internal controls. I'm telling you right now, that's a myth. Um, it's the control environment that really matters. Um, and then I guess the, the bigger question is the one that you asked me, Tom, uh, you asked me, Tom, which was who will guard the guards themselves? You know, quay custod epos custodis, so to speak. You know, who's who's accountable at the, at the board level for making sure that they're doing the right things um, or the other board members of the other committees are doing the right things. Um, you know, it's, it's always interesting to see boards self-assess themselves. I, I just think that there needs to be a fundamental change. And if there's not a fundamental change, I think you're going to see more things like Herbalife. Um, I think in my experience, I've seen audit reports go to audit committees and fall on deaf ears or somebody tried to rationalize why something could be normal. Um, when it comes to management override, again, I think that goes back to the board. I think the board's responsible. Um, you know, any organization that has well-designed uh, controls that are, that are effective and, and are an impl- or otherwise effective, you know, has the opportunity for those controls to be overridden. I did a study are participating in a study with Carol Bishop, Dana Hermanson, and Dr. Richard Riley on management override of internal controls. And, you know, a couple of things that we learned from that is that we don't know if the audit committee is effective or not. It was sort of inconclusive data. But, you know, management override leaders are generally older, more educated, and higher in a higher position um, with shorter tenures within companies. That's one of the things that we learned. Another thing that we learned were schemes are more complex, um, uh, and 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 it takes a it takes a different mind's eye to to really start to peel these things away, you know. Like like Matt said, you know, it's almost a Potemkin village. You know, you have the facade of a great internal audit department that's focusing on the right things, but you know, once those issues you know burble their way up to the audit committee and hopefully the board, you know, it's really incumbent upon them to act. And if they're not acting, then you know, basically control failure all over the place. Um, so, you know, I did go nuclear when I read this, you know, I'm saying to my, I'm sitting here saying to myself, well, these are, you know, this is not, this is not out of the ordinary, but again, you know, like you said, Tom, you know, who will guard the guards themselves and, you know, or is it the Fox watching the Fox guarding the hen house, you know, any saying that you would like to have here, but it, it appears to me, if you did root cause here, I think the fundamental thing would be. Um, the lack of skepticism at the board level and their inability to actually dig down and ask the right questions or follow up on things or, you know, ask senior management to prove to them that things are operating effectively. So, Jonathan, both Matt and I have written and talked about her <laughs> audit function in this case. Do you, do you have an opinion or at least a sense perhaps of whether internal audit did their job and it fell apart at the board, or do you see something different than we've seen? Uh, you know, I, I don't know whether I haven't seen all of the documentation as to how the audits were designed, the procedures they performed, or read the read their report. Um, I will tell you that the IIA did a study not too long ago, and um, what they uncovered was is that a lot of the reports that were written 
on on very very sensitive issues were changed or the wording was manipulated and more so in the far east than in the united states so you know it's it's really interesting to me i would love to see draft number one of that report and then draft number nine of that report and and look at the differences and what how it was presented to the how it was presented to the audit committee and the board um so whether they did their job or not i'm not sure um you know, it appears that again, you're it, look you, on on the surface looks like they're focused on the right risks and things of that nature. Um, you know, I also call in the question the fact that you know I haven't seen the board minutes either. You know, if there are audit committee made, minutes that you know that's something that's looked at by the external auditors. You know, if the external auditors saw a preponderance or a pattern of somebody questioning the fact whether these things re- related to Herbalife were reasonable or not. I don't know. To me, I, that would sort of send off for a, a bell, or, you know, ring a bell in my head or a red flag in my head, and I, I would follow up. Um, not saying it's their responsibility, but I would definitely follow up and challenge management, you know, on, on some of those things or change my audit procedures in order to make sure that things were appropriate. But that's just me. So I don't know that I can answer your question, Tom. I can only tell you that I think I have the same opinions that the two of you have. That it, it appears that internal audit, you know, did what they were supposed to do, but you know. If they did what they were supposed to do, I would love to see, you know, draft one and then look at draft nine or 19 or 37 and how that was presented to the board, because I think that's really critical. Um, you know, and I don't really know much about the chief audit executive there. And uh, and again, um, it, it's it's I, I think I, I think it just the level of skepticism in this thing, it just seems to be non-existent. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this special production of the FCPA Compliance Report, where we're taking a deep dive into the Herbalife FCPA settlement. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow for another episode. This has been a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network, which is a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to visiting with you again tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.